and welcome to Tripping with Friends, a travel podcast. My name is Curtis. I'm your host. Thanks for tuning in. I hope that for maybe the next 20 minutes or so, your mind can wander and you can focus on where you might like to go in the near future. We all know it's coming soon. This is a great opportunity to get some ideas and plan your next trip. And before we get to today's guest, I want to tease next week's episode, which I'm going to do after the interview. So please stick around. There's a very cool announcement. I really can't wait to share it with you. Check out the interview and then hang around for the announcement. So one of my favorite aspects of this podcast experience so far, and you know the brilliant premise of just talking to my friends, is that it gives me more of an incentive to actually talk to friends outside of my normal everyday circle. So my friend Emma Williams is joining the pod today, all the way from St. Albans. St. Albans is located just outside of London. I worked with Emma for a number of years, and then when she left the company, she started her own communications business, and so we didn't see each other as regularly as we used to. We'd get together for lunch every now and then, or maybe the occasional text, but not a lot of contact. And so within the past year, Emma has actually moved to England. As you'll hear in the interview, she was born in England, went to college in the States, and began her professional life in Chattanooga. And then she recently made the decision to move back to the UK. So the podcast has given me a reason to give her a call and really catch up on what's going on with her life. I think you're going to find her story of what a transatlantic move is like to be really fascinating. So let's not delay anymore and bring on Emma. Well, Emma, thank you for joining me on the podcast. You're welcome. I'm excited to be here. All the way from England. Yes, St. Albans. St. Albans. So that is just outside London, right? Just northwest, north, slightly northwest, yes. Um, Hertfordshire, Hertfordshire. One of the many reasons I wanted to talk to you was just to get a little taste of what life is like in the COVID era over there. And I'm, I'm sure it's probably very similar to what we're experiencing, but I guess you're still sheltering at home? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think it's, it, it's very different. Um, just not to throw your question off. No, that's fine. But, um, it works both ways. I mean, my view on this is from friends and family and what I see and read on the news. And I still keep up with local news, um, you know, in the States as well as national news. But I think it's very, very different because the gov- our governments have extremely different approaches. So we're in week I think it's week 10. I'm not sure. Yeah, who knows? Of a lockdown. <laughs> and the only thing that we can do, you know, that changed two weeks ago is that we could, we were allowed to go outside to exercise more than once a day. So um, until that time, we've been allowed to go out once a day for exercise and to buy food and that kind of thing. So um, otherwise, um, stay at home. So I think it's a lot more, and I cannot draw a direct line of comparison with the states because one of the things that I observe is that every state is treating it very, very differently. So I think the closest comparison to the UK approach would probably be California or potentially New York um, in terms of having a, a really true and rigid lockdown, which we're still in, although 
um, starting on June 15th, some additional shops will be open. And a lot of it is open air trade, is being asked to do open air trade as well. Here in Georgia, I guess today I could go uh, bowling and then go get a tattoo. So, yeah, little, <laughs> no, a little different. Food, restaurants, pubs, um, those types of places. A lot of places are open for takeaway if you can go in like one at a time get what you order and then leave but pubs bars restaurants all that are closed until at least july no one's quite sure when but it will at least be july and even then um it sounds like what they'll do is try to they'll probably phase in um hospitality reopening with places that have outside seating first so it's a very, very, very long pull here. Yeah, the, the, the approach does sound a little bit different, uh, and it's hard to say because of all the localities here are different, but at least compared to where I'm, where I'm at, you're living under some more strict circumstances than we have here in Georgia. Yeah, definitely. I, I know because I've seen some of your, your pictures you're living in a beautiful place. And when you do get that one time outside, it's worthwhile for sure. So yeah. I'm, I'm envious. And we can now go out multiple times, you know, yeah. more than once. So that's good. And there's good places to run around here. In fact, I was telling you when we were chatting before, um, before the podcast that, you know, I can leave and turn one way and have sort of a more citified run or leave and turn the other way. And in a matter of minutes be when it's open, it's not open at the moment, but, you know, be running through the grounds of a private estate or um, there's actually another estate next, sort of adjacent. And it's um, you run right by Stanley Kubrick's house. Um, well, his wife, Stanley Kubrick, no longer is no right. longer with us, but his wife still lives there. And apparently they have a big, um, she's an artist and they have a big art festival and things usually in the summer. So it's another thing to look forward to for wow. next year. Um, but the, then it's just fields and countryside and trail, you know, public footpaths and lanes and things like that. So personal question, because I'm interested to know, like the National Trust, is that something that most people are members of, of so they can go and visit the sites? Is that something that you do or? Mm -hmm. Yes, I'm a National Trust member. In fact, I just got my magazine. It's sitting right here. I'll show you. Because <laughs> this time they did a user-generated content issue, oh, awesome. which has comms people. There's another comms which you'll find interesting. Um, so because they closed all their properties and then they tried to keep their outdoor spaces open, but due to congestion, that wasn't working. They have just announced that they're going to reopen some of their outdoor spaces, but you will have to go online and reserve a parking spot. So they're just trying to do anything they can to open up some of the places for outside um, enjoyment, but do it in a way that, you know, they're not going to get swamped. That, I mean, we're seeing that here is that those outdoor attractions are, be it a, a, being a state park or private place to pay for i mean it's they're getting slammed because people are just so hungry to get out and the weather's actually been very nice so it, it is a little bit uh uncomfortable when you start to see people and it's weird like you know in in two months i've gone to be uncomfortable around other people to some degree so uh my, how quickly we've changed but those national trust sites the ones that we've been to have all just been so lovely and we we always say if we 
we're ever to live in England, we would have to be members. Well, here's a pro tip for you because okay. you can actually be a member of what's called the Royal Oak, which is their international one. So mm. next time you plan a trip over here, it's worth joining the Royal Oak because then you you end up gaining back and saving. So my sister does this because she's got three kids. And my parents, because they live in the States, they're members of the Royal Oak, which is um, the sort of international, um, or it might be the American arm, I'm not sure how it works, sort of national trust. But it's the same as being a member. So then whenever you're at a national trust property here, you can go in for free because you're a member. So you get your money back. So... That's Before cool. you come over again, or when you get ready to plan your next trip, get Royal Oak membership. And I think they could use it because there was something in the news that made me sad about the the amount of membership um, National Trust has lost recently mm. um, with people not renewing. And, um, you know, I think people make their own decisions about what they can and cannot afford to do during this time. But I think it's being a member now is probably... I'm not, I'm just like completely like freely advocating for promoing them right now. But I mean, you know, one of my favorite things for my entire life has been going to National Trust properties. I love history mm. and gardening and all these things. And so, you know, it feels like it's almost more important to join now. But anyway, yeah, so. Well, maybe for the listeners that have never been to the UK, what what is kind of a typical National Trust site? Gosh, well, they own, meant there's two big sort of heritage conservation organizations, but the National Trust is the biggest. There's another one called English Heritage that owns some properties. But the National Trust is a conser- essentially a conservancy. Um, and I'm again, I'm no expert. I'm purely a member, but they own or often are gifted in trust um, by families, the historic properties all over the UK, including open lands as well as buildings or their buildings. You know, so if you've watched, if you're somebody who likes watching, um, you know, English TV programs or sort of historic dramas and things, you know, a lot of the big old stately homes, many of them, not all of them, but many of them are owned or are, are in tr- in care of the National Trust who then takes care of them, maintains them. A lot of times, I think if you are a family that gives your property the National Trust, you often see that the family remains in a tenancy living there until such time as they have no need to live there anymore, I guess. But well, it's expensive to maintain those properties. Well, that's the thing. I mean, that is the thing, right? So the cost is um, prohibitive in sort of modern times. And this is a way that the history and the heritage and everything, you know, that those properties encompass is preserved and they're made available to the public. So anybody can go and enjoy it. Well, they're all very cool. The ones, the few that we've been to have all just been so lovely. Uh, We went to Durham Park last year and we went to Hidcott Gardens, which were, was one of my favorites. There's so many to see and do and um, to check out. So that's good to know about the Royal Oak for us Americans. And Durham, I think I sent you a note about Durham is where they filmed Remains of the Day. That's right. Yes. The the exterior uh, bits of it. And I think some of the interior shots too. Yeah. You have such an interesting story because you're from England, but you spent so much time in the States and have recently moved back to England. 
So what, what was that transition like for you personally to move back home? I mean, there's sort of fantastic and, and also hell at the same time, because um, when I was getting ready to move, so many people contact friends and contacts who have made a transatlantic move separately people who do not know each other all said to me oh those kind of moves transatlantic moves brutal mm. and they all use the same word brutal and i was like yeah yeah i want to look at them and be like yeah sure mm-hmm. it's brutal for you but it's not going to be brutal for me i'll be <laughs> fine the logistic and just the sheer sort of force of will at a certain point that it takes probably to do it the way I did as well. I mean, I pretty much just sold up. Now I've thought about this for 10 years. That's the, you know, that's the, the inside joke. Like it wasn't an overnight decision. It's something that I'd wanted to do for easily 10 years and had, you know, thought about and planned and everything else. And then, you know, it was just a matter of getting to the right point and the right moment in life to do it. And recognizing, recognizing when that moment had arrived and saying that moment's arrived, now's the time. And then at that point, it's like any big decision, the hardest part is saying now's the time. And then the rest of it is the work that you do from the point that you've decided you're going to do it. But um, it definitely was very challenging in many ways because obviously I'm leaving, you know, what amounts to most of a lifetime in the States, but I knew it was something I wanted to do. So if it's something you really want to do, then it's also fantastic. So it's two sides of the same coin for sure. And, you know, I mean, it was, you know, there's just lots of all the stuff that makes it brutal are the things like the day I stayed with um, some very dear friends for six weeks before I could move into this house. The day that I move into this house, it's cold, it's rainy. Um, you know, I have a terrible cold, you know, thanks to a, a, a Ikea, ground zero Ikea top. <laughs> and um, so, you know, and then I have five days, I had five days to get moved in here, sorted out, and then leave for Stockholm for 10 days for work. 30 minutes after taking and had everything orchestrated because I arrived and I had to buy furniture here because I really didn't, I shipped a few things from the States. I shipped a chair and um, some household goods and things. But in terms of shipping furniture, you know, I have one piece of furniture in storage in the States because it'd be too big for this house, a table. And then it just didn't make sense to spend the money. Um, It made more sense to just get only what I need for, um, you know, a significantly smaller property here. So I had everything sequenced, like, and you can't ship appliances, right? It's like a TV being delivered and a bed and a mattress and the sofa and all these things lined up for delivery on the day that I moved in. And 30 minutes after moving in, it became apparent there was no heating and um, no hot water. And it was a Saturday and, you know, it's, in, in England, is customer service is different to the state, so I rang the letting office, and they were like, well, you know, we'll sort it out next week. And I was like, no, I really need you to sort it out today. <laughs> so anyway, my new BFF, Kevin the Boiler Man, came around. Well, first of all, the gas man came, and then the gas man said that it was a terrible day for him, not for me, for him. It was just a terrible day for him because he was going to have to cut everything off. So the heating hadn't been working, but he said, it's a terrible day for me because I've got to cut off all your heating now and all your hot water. 
And I was kind of like, well, it's all right for you. You're going to go home and have a nice cup of tea in the hot shower. And I needed to stay in the property because I had all this other stuff lined up for delivery and internet being put in that week and everything else. And anyway, so that just one way, uh, uh, my lesson from it is one way or the other, the brutal part will catch up with you. Like there's just no getting around that. It, it is difficult. So I camped out here for a week and just worked in coffee shops and had a couple of portable heaters and um, you know, just made them made the best of it. And then the night before I went to Stockholm, I got heat and hot water. So I was able to have a quick shower before I left. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. I'm sure the lo- the logistics are, are, are tough, but you know, it, it's all been worthwhile. Oh gosh. Yeah. yeah. Without question. I mean, you know, I like, I always have this thing that you know, you've right, made the right decision. If you just haven't had a single moment where you look back and go, why did I do this? right like you know then you know you're heading in the right direction so london and and surrounding areas are is such a great destination and it's an easy destination i think a lot of americans that's maybe the first place they go in europe when if they've never been just because it's such an easy transition you don't have to learn the language and things make sense for us colonists what would be what is maybe something that you would recommend people to check out in London area that's you could be touristy or it could just be something that's maybe off the beaten path, maybe one of each well, you I mentioned, did, oh sorry go ahead oh, I just I didn't prep you for this, so no, no. Well, you mentioned this, but uh, you know, sort of places to go, but I mean my favorite thing in any city. And the thing that I tend to do just because it's who I am is just to walk. So I've, one of the things I've loved about being here until, you know, until the lockdown in a way, if I've had a, you know, I've been able to zip in and out because the train service from here is 20 minutes into the middle of London. So I've been able to zip in and out and go, um, you know, I've been to the Royal Opera House to the ballet um, a couple of times, which was just incredible or I've met friends to go and just wander so one of the things I like to do there was one afternoon I didn't have anything going on it was a lovely Saturday and I um, just got on the train and went to the British Museum because I love there's a a guy this is getting a little away from your question but and as a a sidebar but there is um, there's a guy in the British Museum and I mean I call him a guy he's a mummy (laughs) And he, what is his, Lindau, he's called the Lindau Man, and he was found in a peat bog um, somewhere in the south of England, and he is Lindau, and he is, you know, 10,000 years old, and um, is this mummified, preserved man, you can still see his fingernails and his eyelashes, this is really morbid, I know, but I am fascinated with this, and the first time that I saw him, I think I was 18, um, and over here on a trip with a friend, and we were doing sort of a similar thing, and just roaming around, we had like, you know, a week in London staying with a, a friend that I have here, and so we were just roaming around, and we went to the British Museum, and somehow stumbled on the Lindau man, and I was absolutely fascinated. So I like to check on him. Still there, still looks the same. <laughs> You'll be surprised, not surprised. We, we've um, seen so, the we've seen the Lindau man. He still well preserved, spectacular. And so anyway, I just like 
doing things like that. So going and just walking, right? And setting out in the direction. So, and I think you find things that way. I mean, I, so I would recommend that. I have a list of things I haven't done. And on that list are some things that I had just found, sort of found, like there's a Charles Dickens Museum, which looks amazing. So that's high on my list to go to. We were talking about National Trust earlier and National Trust has several properties actually in London, including one of the oldest, I think it might be the oldest structure in London. And then um, just outside London is William Morris's house, which is, you can get there on the train. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to doing that at some point. There's like the Chelsea Physic Garden, which is like, you know, a, a small, I think it's all medicinal plants, Kew Gardens. I mean, I'm, you know, I could name like a lot of the big tourist stuff, yeah. but I think the fun thing to do, Islington is a really cool neighborhood. Um, and so, you know, I think the thing, the fun thing to do is sort of pick an, an area or a neighborhood and then just walk and roam around. The, the walking culture there is is pretty spectacular. And I don't know why it's that way or what, what, what created it, but it's, it's definitely different than here in the United States. And I just find it to be fascinating. Yes. And I agree because there's the walking culture of just walking to get places. And then there's also the walking culture of um, like more like what we would call hiking in the States. And it is huge. I mean, they put, um, you know, one of the big national news things, this whole uh, pandemic time has been around like, don't, for a long time, they were like, you can't drive places to go and exercise because people were needing to drive places to go hiking. And now they've said that you can. And so NITS, like the whole public footpath system. And I think it goes, I think it goes back to A, we're, we're a smaller country. And um, so, you know, there's a degree of accessibility that comes with that. And it wasn't a country built around cars, the way the infrastructure of the U.S. has been built around around cars and i think that has, makes a difference so i don't know you know it'd be interesting to understand the full roots of it but it's definitely a big pastime here both for just physical transport and um recreation took some getting used to so I, you know i went from a driving culture to a walking culture and I will tell you the first few weeks certainly like I was tired like my legs were tired because it like it cuts out a lot of unnecessary trips and spending because you're not like oh I'll just run back to the store you have to really weigh up like how badly do you want to go and get something if you've got to walk up the hill to go and get it versus hop in the car yeah do you have a car no not at the moment and quite frankly like as I look outside, I live on a very narrow street in the conservation area in St. Albans, and there's parking on one side, it's all permitted. And um, to tell you how competitive the parking is, all street parking, instead, when I met my neighbors, instead of, instead of like, what's your name? Their first question was, Jivaka, <laughs> because they were all trying to see if I was going to be competition with them for a space. Oh, gotcha. Um, on the street. So I would like a car, but um, I need to, I, I just had other fish to fry. And um, again, the public transport here is amazing. 
Um, so between train and bus and Uber, I have, I'm missing all my Uber driver friends at the moment because there was a few that I really got to know. And so they would always sort of check in, like if I was getting a lift to the station or something, they're all like, how's it going? Are you getting settled in? And they're a wealth of advice too. Like, I mean, I was like, one day I was like, where's a good place to get a hamburger? This was missing Tremont Tavern um, uh, cheeseburgers. Yeah. And I was like, where's the best place to get like a cheeseburger or whatever? And there's a place called the Meeting Room, M-E-A-T-I-N-G, and they do a very good burger. So I found out all kinds of things just by um, making friends with the Uber drivers. That's a great idea. They're also quite, had some very deep like life philosophy conversations with them too. Also interesting. My favorite is a guy who loves to expound on how life is too short and you shouldn't work too hard. And he really doesn't work very hard at all. And <laughs> you really just, you know, why, why would you want to do that? You know, you work when you want to work, but then if you don't want to work, you shouldn't work. So, and then I heard a voice in the Tesco Metro one day and I could hear this guy being like, well, I work so hard. You know, life is, life is short, you know, people work too hard. It's not worth it. And I come around the corner and there's Mustafa, my favorite Uber driver on his usual platform about why work too hard. Meanwhile, the guy he's talking to is um, a little Tesco shelf stacker who is stacking bread like as fast as his life depends on it. And he's there being like, well, I work so hard anyway. So <laughs> contrasting. I know. I enjoyed I, I enjoyed that. But, but well, yeah, I mean like I don't use no need to have a car at the moment, but I want it would be nice to have to go further afield. As you know, I'm a trail runner. Sure. Like well that I mean that thinking about that as a life change would be would be very different because we're used to driving everywhere down here, but things are so spread out too. So and public transportation is is zilch so you can make it work because of your more metropolitan area yes. well that's that's cool i hope things in the world change very quickly because i know you have an amazing travel list of places that you have that you want to go this year so we will definitely keep in touch and maybe we can talk about some of those places down the road thank you for being on the podcast and um i'm glad that you're doing well Thanks, Curtis. This was really fun. As I mentioned at the top of the show, I'm very excited about my guests for the next episode. Since I haven't recorded it yet, though, I'm not going to say their name just in case scheduling doesn't work out. But they are a published author and they wrote a fantastic travel book that I'm reading right now. They are a wealth of knowledge on a travel topic that I'm getting to be obsessed with. So that's a very vague teaser about the next episode, but I'm really excited. Once again, thanks to Emma for joining us today, all the way from St. Albans in the UK. Thanks to all of the new listeners for giving the podcast a shot. I really appreciate it. Follow us on Instagram at Tripping with Friends Podcast. You can also check us out on Twitter, and the handle is Tripping with. This is Curtis. Until next time. <laughs>